you named your fake detective agency Psych? Why don't you just call it, hey, we're fooling you and the police department. Hope we don't make a mistake and someone dies because of it. First of all, Gus, that name is entirely too long. It would never fit on the window. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. We're three pineapples learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And Adam. This yeah. is our season four finale. Hell yeah. Woo. Let's do it. When the Santa Barbara Police Department has trouble solving their strangest mysteries, they call on Sean Spencer and Burton Gus Guster. Following Sean's special psychic ability, he and Gus lead the team of detectives to clues, solving murders and closing cases on a regular basis. Despite the non-believers in the department, Sean consistently proves himself. The only problem? Sean isn't a psychic at all. Uh-oh. In the summer of 2006, 6.1 million people tuned into the pilot episode of Psych, a comedy mystery show about a man who uses his incredible observational skills to fool detectives into thinking he's psychic. In a time when TV was swarmed with various versions of CSI and other crime dramas, Psych dared to be different. Although the show followed the basic formula of a detective show, it centered on the chemistry between its two leads and the comedic situations they often found themselves in. For eight seasons, Psych focused on the relationships of the characters, from the strong, lifelong friendship of Sean and Gus to the bond between Sean and his often disapproving father. The show was packed with clever references and parodies of other shows and films, with witty dialogue and hilarious running gags, making it the absolute perfect show for a movie and TV podcast to cover. So, cassettes, for our finale, we've decided to cover this hilarious show and psych you out in the end. That's right. <laughs> Yuck. This is the end of the season, and we're psyching you out. Get Woo! it? Get it? It was a plan. <laughs> we planned to do this episode as our finale this entire time. And because of that, Marcy and I had to go to Meyer and Kroger and Walmart and buy as many pineapple things <laughs> as we possibly could. Uh, yes. Yeah. And we bought about 25 pineapples, I think, and we kind of hid them in our drink of the week photos, mm. wondering yes. if anyone would notice. It, you know, here's a photo of our Casper drink and yet a pineapple yeah. in the background. <laughs> It's like September or October. I can't wait. October. Yeah. And there's a pineapple in it. Why? We're, we're doing an episode on the Blues Brothers this week. Sunglasses on a pineapple? <laughs> yeah. We were like, surely somebody will be like, why is there a pineapple? We in thought this? everyone was too polite. Nobody wanted yeah. to ask, well, why are you guys doing this? <laughs> well, now you know. Yeah. yeah. Henry Spencer always dreamed that his son, Sean, would one day be a police detective just like him. So he trained his son to be hyper-observant of his surroundings. However, Sean was different from his father in almost every way, and he did not follow in his footsteps. Fast forward to 2006, and Sean is almost 30 years old. He still seems to lack direction in his life, until the day the Santa Barbara Police Department mistakes him for a criminal when he reveals details about a case. In order to prove his innocence, 
Sean claims that he is a psychic. Okay. Okay. Fine. You win. I got the information because I'm a psychic. Get him out of here. Oh, boy. He impresses the chief of the department enough that she decides to hire him to consult on cases. Sean sets up a detective agency with his lifelong friend, Gus. Gus is a nerdy, kind-natured friend who begrudgingly helps Sean solve cases. Sean and Gus are one of the best TV duos I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, yeah. They work incredibly well together. I think the actors had really just a really special chemistry, but a lot of it was they just they wrote these characters really well. You know, Gus is... I think Gus is one of my favorite characters in anything ever. Yeah. Yeah. He is so, first of all, incredibly useful. He, <laughs> anytime yes. Sean needs anything, Gus either knows about it or understands what to do. Mm-hmm. And Gus has this really special way about him where he is incredibly nerdy, but he doesn't think so. And he's the yes. only person that doesn't think so. Yeah. Now, in the landlord's statement, he said the body was found here in the supine position. So, please, if you will. Sure. Just tell me what supine means. Gus, supine. Sue. Hmm? Pine. You don't know what the word means, do you? Okay, fine. You win. Mr. Vocabulary wins. Mr. Vocab is the big winner tonight, everybody. No, please, please, please. It means on your back. And Sean also doesn't think he's nerdy either. (laughs) You know, he's like, he's like, I'm super cool. Gus is the nerd. And Gus is like, I'm not nerdy at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. But then he pulls out like paleontology knowledge out of nowhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's just super uh, constantly nerdy. You know, there's an episode where they go to a spelling bee and it turns out Gus was a spelling bee contestant years ago. Yeah. He's a huge one at all. Yeah. There's so many layers to Gus. It's really amazing. And. He's that friend that kind of allows Sean to enter into his life and just, you know, he'll show up at Gus's house and say, where are your keys? I'm driving. Like, just immediately (laughs) assumes, hey, it's okay. I'm just going to take your keys to your car and I will drive. They have this really great dynamic. It reminds me of me and Marcy, actually, because... Yeah, it reminds me of us because I would totally show up at your house and be like, where are your keys? I'm driving. That's totally something mm-hmm. I would do. Though I generally don't like to drive, so I probably wouldn't. I probably would go in and say, where's your keys? You're driving. <laughs> like, we're going somewhere, but you're, you're yeah. taking me. Yeah. As a young boy, Steve Franks would invent television shows and then draw up a schedule where they would be pitted against each other. He would then try to predict the ratings of these shows. Then finally, he would extend or cancel them. Eventually, his passion for TV would lead him to create the TV show Psych. When Franks developed Sean Spencer, he based aspects of the character on himself. Franks' father was an officer that worked for the LAPD for 20 years and was what he liked to call a trained observer. Which is very funny because a lot of the time photojournalists call themselves trained observers. (laughs) I mean, you, you do have to be observant, yeah. especially if you're going to catch that one in the million shot. Much like Sean's father in the show, Franks' father would quiz him about the details of his surroundings. This often happened when the two of them would go out to eat. Franks even wrote this into the very first episode when Henry and young Sean Spencer are in a diner. 
In order to receive dessert, Sean must close his eyes and recall how many hats are in the room. How many hats? <sighs> Come on, Dad. Sean, you want a piece of cake? How many hats are in the room? Does a beanie count? What do you think? Three. You didn't describe them. That's not fair. Time's almost up, Sean. One has a flower, the one the lady's wearing. One has a picture of some kind of line on the weird guy with the crooked tooth. The last one is on the chef. What about the beanie? A beanie's a cap, not a hat. It's really interesting because I don't know if I could ever do that. Yeah. Even with training, it's just like, well, I wasn't paying attention, and now I just suddenly have to recall <laughs> something. It's wild. I mean, I guess that's why he's like, you know, wherever you go, make sure you pay attention. That's true. like, you could be quizzed at any time, yeah. essentially. And I will say, thank goodness for that effect they do in the show, where they're like, zoom in, like, highlight the thing he noticed. <laughs> that way I'm not <laughs> left behind. <laughs> The relationship between Steve Franks and his father was a clear influence for the relationship between Sean and Henry. Franks' father wanted Steve to be a police officer, but he instead became a screenwriter. Sean's father, Henry, illustrates the disappointment that Steve's father showed toward this decision. Steve Franks later said that his dad came to terms with his son's career and is even a fan of the show. Franks said of his father after the show premiered, he loved the pilot and is now calling me every other day with story pitches. <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. It's like, oh, here's a here's a, a crime that happened. You could Aww. do a parody of it or, or something like it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty great. In 1999, Steve Franks successfully sold the script for the film Big Daddy to Columbia. The Adam Sandler comedy was a big hit, and Columbia wanted Franks to pitch more ideas. Among the ones that he gave was the idea for Psych. When they turned it down, he kept the idea and a few years later pitched it to producer Kelly Kolchak. She thought it was brilliant and helped him pitch it to ABC, CBS, and NBC. They all turned it down. Jeez. Ooh. Yeah. Finally, their last pitch was to the USA Network, who thought it would be perfect for their programming, where they boast, characters welcome. Ha! <laughs> yes! <laughs> I think about that. It's, it's always fun to think about who turned it down after the fact, right? Because mm -hmm. it's this is a successful thing. It's popular. Everybody loves it. Sucks to suck, ABC, CBS, <laughs> NBC. You missed out. Steve Franks is also part of a band called the Friendly Indians that has released three albums, Tiny Badness, Greetings from Lake Dolores, and Pure Genius. The other members are Tim Meltreger, Jason Barrett, and Gizzy Jackson. They are most known, however, for the Psych theme song. Hey. Um, what instrument does Gizzy Jackson play? Because I hope it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the oboe. <laughs> Your basic rock band instrument. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, picture, I just picture a name like that fitting right in with Electric Mayhem. Ah, from the Muppets, and yeah. he'd just be like, this is yeah. Gizzy Jackson. <laughs> you know? The song was called The Best Man Lies and was actually a song from one of their previous albums, shortened by two verses. One of the best parts about this theme song is that for special episodes, there is a themed version of the song. For example, Boys to Men recorded a version that was used for the episodes High Top Fade Out and Let's do wop it again. 
In Lights, Camera, Homicidio and No Country for Two Old Men, the theme was sung in Spanish. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Steve Franks was a huge fan of Moonlighting from 1985 and Remington Steele from 1982, and they heavily influenced the idea and tone of Psych. He was even able to score one of the actresses for Moonlighting, Sybil Shepard, to play Sean's mother. They named her Madeline as a tribute to her Moonlighting character, Madeline Maddie Hayes. And when Franks was 16, his father had another job as security and ended up taking Steve to the set of Moonlighting. This was pivotal for Franks because it showed him that it would be possible to have a career in movies and television. Inspiring. How cute. Moonlighting also has Bruce Willis in it. Sweet. Yeah. So check Moonlighting out. So let's talk about how the show was made. When Franks was on his honeymoon in Santa Barbara, he was already thinking of the idea for Psych. He liked that the beachy town didn't have the feeling of a huge city, and he thought its beautiful setting would be perfect for Psych. Originally, Franks thought the production would happen in Santa Barbara, but this proved to be a problem because not a lot of crew members work in that area, and many of them would have to stay in hotels for the entire length of filming. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. A lot of moolah. There, are, there needs to be a big film community mm-hmm. wherever you're filming, because then that way you have built-in people to work on your film. Right. It, that's kind of why Hollywood kind of exists in the way it does, right? It's a vicious circle mm-hmm. where, you know, people move there to make movies and then yeah. people make movies there because the people live there. And yes. then it just mm-hmm. continues back and forth. Yes. Yeah. So the show settled on filming on stages in Vancouver where there were many more available crew members to work. The outside shots were done in the town of White Rock, which was close to Santa Barbara, but still very different. Mostly in temperature and (laughs) everything else. I mean, just the way it looked, you know, (laughs) it was near water, and that was important, but it wasn't a surfing hub. Yeah, there weren't uh, palm trees everywhere. Yeah. In order to make the sets look like Santa Barbara, they were filled with warm colors and extras wearing shorts and holding beach towels. The prop department also contacted the Santa Barbara Sun, an actual local newspaper, so characters could be reading a real newspaper in the show. That's cool. Awesome. Um, sorry for those people having to wear shorts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They said they were really they'd be upset because it would be forty degrees and people would be wearing shorts. And so we just have to make it look warm. We have yeah. to make it like it's look like it's warm out here. And and so and with the newspaper, they it wasn't just the newspaper. They found things that were very specific to Santa Barbara, oh. legitimate things that, you know, the prop department mm-hmm. fa- and, and placed them in the show to make it seem as Santa Barbara as possible. Man. Awesome. Yeah. You just think that, like, you just filming in santa barbara you know what i mean it's just like the crew in the hotel the Adam. Money. we, we yes. just talked about this just, <laughs> yeah i know but still <laughs> hearing about all the the length they went to to make it still feel like santa barbara so it's like i yeah. mean that's the that's the price you pay for picking a real town yeah and specifying it where they are that's very true yeah. you know because then you have to do something like that Production would often use designs that had a distinct California style, especially for sets like the police department. 
There was an entire greenery department that would insert trees and flowers to make the set look as warm and tropical as possible. You know, we were watching a commentary where they talked about how hard it was to find lockers, to place Mm -hmm. lockers in their office. And Marcy went, are they filming in Canada? Like, we had no idea (laughs) that it wasn't being filmed in Santa Barbara. We totally... Fooled us. Yeah, yeah. One of the challenges of filming in Canada is buying American props and food. For example, all the food products in Canada have different measurements, and American audiences would likely notice. We absolutely yes. would. <laughs> yep. That's not nearly as big of a, <laughs> a serving. I will have ten times as much <laughs> as an American. I see some metrics on there. Yeah. <laughs> I see French. I want pounds. I see French on that labeling. Yep. <laughs> I need pounds of food. <laughs> One food the characters are always looking for is the churros, something that is very difficult to find in Canada, and the show had to order in advance. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Churros are good. They also said pineapples were hard. <laughs> oh, Not something that happens very often, yeah. And that's why probably I after mean... season one, they went to pineapples that were not real yeah <laughs> that's what i was gonna say i mean like get one fake one and be fine just yeah. use it over and over <laughs> although steve franks had originally wanted to write the show alone a team was hired to help him this team included carlos chacot he was a producer writer and executive storyboard editor for the show he also made the occasional appearance as an actor as well Andy Berman was a writer and producer for the show as well. He helped to co-write 24 episodes and the second Psych movie. You may also know him as the voice of Dib in Invader Zim. No way! (laughs) How cool is that? (laughs) Anupam Nagam, he came on as a producer, writer, and storyboard editor, and he helped write 10 episodes. Saladin K. Patterson was a producer, writer, and director. He helped write 17 episodes. Tim Meltreger, you may remember we mentioned him earlier in the episode, as he is a member of the band The Friendly Indians. He is their guitar player. He's also a major player as one of the lead story editors. He wrote nine episodes. That's fun that his band buddy was there. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was so cool, too. Bill Callahan was a writer and co-producer of the show, writing 10 episodes. He's also written for shows like Scrubs, Eight Simple Rules, and Spin City. Wow, some popular ones. Yeah. Yeah. He actually got his start on Spin City, apparently. Uh Aha. And then, finally, we have James Rodé Rodriguez. He is, of course, one of the main stars but has also co-wrote many of the episodes and directed as well. Yeah. Now let's talk about who starred in it then. We started a little bit with uh, James Rodé Rodriguez, so we'll just continue with him. He plays Sean Spencer. When he was starting his acting career, the actor who portrayed Sean changed his name from James Rodriguez to James Rodé. He recently added his true last name in honor of his family and to speak out against typecasting based on race. When he auditioned for the role, it was clear that he was the only actor that truly understood Steve Frank's comedic vision for the show. We'll actually link to his audition, too, so you guys can see it. It's pretty cute. Mm -hmm. Nice. In the Psych All Night event, he revealed that his favorite episode was Dual Spires. Ooh, that's a great episode. 
Oh, yes. We'll talk a little more about that one, too. Yeah. He currently stars in A Million Little Things as Gary Mendez. So it would be hard to imagine anyone else as Sean. I just feel like this really was, this role was meant for him. Yeah, I agree. It's like uh, when you think about Robert Preston and the Music Man Mm. and how he was the only music man yeah yeah you know like others refused to be the music man (laughs) because they were like no you guys need to fucking get him yeah this is his role like (laughs) this this was it fits him like a glove and i i can't imagine anybody else playing it there's just something really special about his ability to constantly riff constantly improvise you know, yes. and do it in such a way that you watch the show and you have no idea which lines were scripted and which, <laughs> and which lines he made up on the spot because he really just embodied the character so well. Yeah. Next, we have Dulé Hill as Burton Guster or Gus. Dulé appeared in The West Wing, Suits, Black Monday, and the movie Holes. Hell yeah, oh he did. My oh, my. Yeah. I, That's what I remember. I can't. From. I yeah. can't believe I didn't realize. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, my God, of course it is. Because, <laughs> you know, not until doing this podcast do yeah. I look at the credits as much and try to read and figure out who it mm-hmm. is and link these together. Right. All actors everywhere, right? Holes came out when we were kids, right? We were pretty young when Holes yeah. came out. And I've seen it as an adult. And, uh, you know, watching Psych made me feel like Dulé Hill was a nerdy person. Like, he mm-hmm. was just nerdy. But... And you watch Holes as an adult, and you're like, that's a very sexy character. He is a very sexy character. He is. You watch it, and you're like, of course she's falling in love with him. He shows up at the exact right moment all the time and is like, I can fix that for you. Oh, my God. There is nothing sexier. I don't think. I mean, honestly, yes. as a, he's helpful. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he heals all ailments. He's kind. With, uh, he does things without <laughs> asking. Yeah. I mean, is that honestly, number one, ladies, right? That, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. And he's pretty good looking, too. He said that working on Psych was very different than when he worked on the West Wing. In the West Wing, they would shoot only about three days a week and would record their lines exactly as written. While working on Psych, he would work about every day and the atmosphere was more relaxed as he had the ability to improvise his lines. His reaction faces are always really good, too. <laughs> yes. You know, whenever he does double takes, Sean will say something really insane. He and James recounted the first times that they met. The first time was a read in front of creator Franks. The second time was amusing because since James already had the role, he wanted to extend a nice gesture to Dulé Hill and offer to read over lines at his house. James did not expect him to live outside the city and ended up driving 45 minutes in order to form their friendship and practice lines. <laughs> 45 minutes? That's... I can't imagine somebody having to drive that far to that hang out with far. me. So, I mean, <laughs> easy. I do it all the time. <laughs> Adam does it once a week. <laughs> Sometimes twice. <laughs> Maggie Lawson played Juliet O'Hara. Juliet is a detective for the Santa Barbara Police Department. She's also the main love interest to Sean Spencer. Maggie Lawson has made appearances in Party of Five, Two and a Half Men, The Ranch, and Santa Clarita Diet. Then we have Timothy Omenson as Carlton Lassiter, or Lassie. 
Detective Lassiter is Juliet's partner and is constantly doubting Sean's abilities and trying to have him and Gus removed from cases. I see a trophy, but I'm out of place. I've been kidnapped. There is a trophy missing from here and we know she suffered a blunt force trauma. Possibly the weapon. Good work, O'Hara. O'Hara, that was all us. I think your tutorial and police work is done now. Goodbye. But we all know Timothy Omenson, of course, from the awesome Disney Channel original, Luck of the Irish, <laughs> as Seamus McTiernan. Right, guys? Oh, my God. The best. <laughs> His crowning achievement. Yes. I mean, I don't know him from anything else besides that. Uh... Psych. But he also has been on Judging Amy, Gallivant, and Supernatural. So you have the partnership of Sean and Gus, these two characters that mesh really well together and then you have this more i don't know it's kind of this realistic pairing of these two detectives who don't necessarily get along very well like they never fight or anything especially in the beginning yeah it's a little rockier between the two because lassiter is this kind of cocky bit of an asshole yeah character manly man yeah he's a type of character that we are not necessarily we want we, they wanted us to like him mm-hmm. but not love him yes you know <laughs> these characters juliet especially shows the growth of lassiter throughout the show yeah you see how he learns to accept her more mm-hmm. and take steps backward and let someone else be in charge and kind of you know, after a while, she really is his partner and he yeah. really does care about her and will make sure she's okay. And it, it's more of a partnership than, it, you know, in the very beginning, it's a little bit different, especially because in the first episode, he has a different partner that he's sleeping with. Yes. There's a lot of growth mm-hmm. between these two characters. They're, you know, side characters. They're supporting characters. But, you know, they really there is there's so there's so much going on mm-hmm. beyond Sean and Gus in this show. Yeah. Then we have Kirsten Nelson as Chief Karen Vick. Chief Vick is the head of the Santa Barbara Police Department and the main reason that Sean is allowed to work on any cases. Yeah. It's almost (laughs) every single case. uh, Lassie goes, are you serious? And then the chief walks in and goes, yep. (laughs) Sean has to work on this. I I really do like the chief. Yeah. I just, I get a kick out of her because... You know, obviously she's good at her job, and when when Sean comes up with something a little bit too out there, she's like, "Come on, you know, <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Get out of here!" But when something else does come up, she's like, "Ooh, I'm interested." Yeah. When everyone else around is like, "He's can't you see that he's still an idiot?" And she's like, "Well, let's see what he has to say." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't know. This is a lead. Let's follow yeah. it. Yeah. Like he's been right before. Yeah. Why not okay. give it a shot? You know, we don't have to. I mean, we don't know what's going on. I <laughs> just will give it a try. Kirsten Nelson has had small roles in a lot of different shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Allie McBeal, Malcolm in the Middle, Ghost Whisper, and Just Shoot Me. Oh, nice. She shows up yeah. in everything. I see her all the time. She, she's making it around. Corbin Burnson as Henry Spencer. Henry Spencer, even though he wanted his son Sean to follow in his footsteps, arrested him at 18. Sean then becomes the two things that Henry hates, a psychic and a private investigator. (laughs) (laughs) 
For the first five seasons of the show, the audience sees a flashback from Sean's life. This flashback usually involves Sean's father, Henry, or his best friend, Gus. It's become my favorite part of writing the show, show creator Steve Frank said. Now I realize I can tie it thematically, or tonally, or take a specific incident and recreate something in the past and see how it plays out in the future. Something I was using as a pitch is now a frame. Besides, it's a chance to see Corbin Burnson in a wig, which is always fun. Got him. Yeah. (laughs) It is really funny. He's always wearing a wig. Yes. It's like, really? Was his hair like that in the past? (laughs) You know what would have been very funny is if every time they did a flashback, it was a different wig. Oh, my God. (laughs) Corbin Burnson has been in a lot of different things, but some of them are General Hospital, JAG, the Young and the Restless, and the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Next is Sage Brocklebank as Buzz McNabb. <laughs> yes. Buzz McNabb is the lovable cop that often will help get Sean into a crime scene that would normally be difficult. He is known for the 2018 Predator movie In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, and Alien Trespass. <laughs> Ooh, classics. Yeah. <laughs> Some good ones. <laughs> I always liked McNabb a lot. Yes. He is, I don't know, he, he really is lovable. He's kind of, there's a lot of episodes where you think he's going to die. Yeah. They do mm-hmm. lots of things that make you think he died. Because like, he's like the most innocent seeming <laughs> character yeah. in the police department. He really is. He's so sweet and just, just kind of there, you know? <laughs> really? <laughs> he brings the smoothies to Sean yeah. and Gus. Yes. <laughs> Next is Kurt Fuller as Woody the coroner. Woody shows up first in season four as the goofy and quirky coroner for the SBPD. He often agrees to the crazy antics that Sean and Gus come up with. He has been in a lot of well-known things, such as Wayne's World, Anger Management, and Scary Movie. I always liked him, too, the coroner. Yeah. Fitting that he was in a a scary movie parody, (laughs) being a coroner in a funny show. (laughs) And he was also, it was a weird part in that movie, too. Was it? Because he was the sheriff, I believe, that uh, liked to wear Speedos in in pictures. (laughs) So Liam James played young Sean Spencer. He played young Sean from 2006 to 2010. As he got older, they needed to replace him because they were not ready for teenage Sean. Liam James went on to be in The Killing and the movies 2012 and The Way Way Back. Nice. Which is a great one, that one. Yeah, The Way Way Back's awesome. Yeah. Next is Skylar DeSando. He replaced Liam James, but was only one month younger. He did appear younger, however, which is what matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would play young Sean until season six when they would abandon the beginning flashbacks. He has done several small parts by now, but most notably Santa Clarita Diet and the movie Booksmart. Oh, <laughs> you guys should watch Booksmart. Have you guys ever seen that? I haven't. No, I have not. He plays a very lovable character. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. As we said before, 6.1 million viewers watched the first episode that aired in the summer of 2006. It was the best basic cable numbers for the Network USA since 2004 when their show The 4400 aired. 
It has since stayed in everyone's hearts because even though the show ended in 2014, it has since had two made-for-TV movies. Very nice. And a third one on the way. The characters, Sean and Gus, are pop culture gurus, constantly making references to movies and shows. The show itself even makes makes these references by having many parody episodes throughout its eight-season run. Here are a few of them. Yeah. Now, I just want to say that we don't have time to talk about each episode in depth, but we may at some point cover specific episodes. Yeah. Because there are some really awesome episodes that are yes. that are references to movies, and this is a movie podcast. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. So the first one was Scary Sherry, Bianca's Toast. This was their first season finale. <laughs> Sorry. That, that's a great title. <laughs> <laughs> it was co-written by Steve Franks and James Rodé Rodriguez. So that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. It's already writing in the show, season one. There was an episode called Dual Spires, which is a parody of Twin Peaks. When this episode aired, I had never heard of Twin Peaks. I think I was, I was, I mean, I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it, and my mom caught the beginning of it walking uh, through the room uh. and saw it said Dual Spires, and she laughed very loud. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't get it. What's the joke? She was like, it's just, it's Twin Peaks. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> English mom. Yes, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Ray Wise was a guest star. He's from Twin Peaks. He is he? from yep. Twin Peaks, yes. And Julie Cruz, who sings the Twin Peaks theme song, also sang the psych song for the beginning of the episode. Ah, uh, doing cool. it again yes. and being cute about it. So cute. Honestly, it's really fun that they do those things because we- yeah. When we do this show, which is much smaller, on on a much smaller scale, for now, I <laughs> I try to do things like that, you know, like I try I try to put funny little things in, especially like when I'm writing the episodes, I put in jokes that yes. will correlate with the episode, but then like sometimes I'll change the harmonica in the beginning, like yeah. you know, just to give it a little bit of a, you know, yeah, like the fact vibe. that we're a bunch of pineapples yeah. today, yeah. <laughs> High Noonish was a parody of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Lassie Jerky was a parody of The Blair Witch Project. Maybe not so much that one. <laughs> <laughs> the Devils in the Details and in the Upstairs Bedroom was a parody of The Exorcist. Nice. And this is, I think, my favorite episode. <laughs> so, lots yes, of scary we'll things. Yeah, I think this is my favorite one. And so we will talk about this later. Last Night Gus is a parody of The Hangover. Tuesday the 17th is a parody of Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Jaren really likes the show, that's and that's his good. favorite episode. Let's Get Harry is a parody of an American werewolf in London, and David Naughton, who plays the lead in American Werewolf in London, also guest starred as Dr. Ken Tucker. Here's Lassie is a parody of The Shining, of course. Yes, what else? Yes, Lassie <laughs> is driven mad in his new condo and goes after Gus, just as Jack went after Wendy and Danny in The Shining. That is a funny scene. Have it your way. Stores really solid. I think it's old. The head, the tail, and the whole damn episode is a parody of Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) These are great. (laughs) 
Mr. Yin Presents is a parody of a collection of Alfred Hitchcock movies. And 100 Clues is a parody of Clue. So there have been quite a few guest stars in the show. In the series, every Breakfast Club member made an appearance except for Emilio Estevez, who ended up being an alias that Sean uses. Ali Sheedy is in the Yin Yang episodes. Judd Nelson was in Death is in the Air. Molly Ringwald in Sean Interrupted. And Anthony Michael Hall in No Trout About It. <laughs> yes! I, I love it. I assume that episode's about fish. No. <gasps> Just kidding. Can't believe it. Felicia Rashad guest as Winifred Guster, or Gus's mom. This is especially funny because a running gag for the show was that Gus played Bud on The Cosby Show. So I watched this, and I didn't really watch The Cosby Show until I was older. Mm-hmm. And so they would joke about that, and I thought he did play Bud. Mm-hmm. I was like, did that actor play Bud in The Cosby Show, yeah. I guess? Because you're like, it's not unheard of for I mean, them to <laughs> actually joke about something like that. Yeah, I was like, did he in real life play him? Because there is an episode where they make a joke about him being in holes. And so I was like, is that... Did he? But no, he did not. (laughs) Just so everyone knows. Kurt Smith, who is a part of Tears for Fears, makes an appearance a few times within the show and even serenades the characters a few times. Jimmy Simpson plays Mary Lightly, who helps to crack the cases about Yang. His character is odd and yet entirely endearing whenever he shows up. You may know him as William on Westworld or Liam McPoyle in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I remember watching when I I love Westworld and we were watching Westworld and he appeared and said, Mary! (laughs) (laughs) There he is! (laughs) Tim Curry guest stars as Nigel St. Nigel (laughs) in the episode American Duos which parodies the lovely American Idol format with Tim Curry being the equivalent to Simon Cowell, which sounds amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you were totally unfair to Catherine Clement in season two. I don't remember the person to whom you are referring, but she was hideous. And the, I think there was a time when American Idol, they tried to do an American Idol spinoff that was duos, it was duets. Mm. So I think they're making fun of that as well. And Carrie Elwes, star of The Princess Bride, (laughs) brings the star power as the elusive Pierre Despero, a famous art thief that Lassie despises. Sometime tomorrow, I'm going to steal a Manet, and then I'm going to make you look foolish again, and then the next day, I'm going to treat myself like a king. He appears in several episodes, and even though he is a thief, finds friendship with Sean and Gus each time that he emerges. Yeah. Such a cool thing to have, like, a running thief who's just, like, outsmarting them every time. It's yeah. great. It's so, I don't know, I love it. He's got really good chemistry with them, mm-hmm. and it's very cute. He's so, like, you're never really worried. Like, you're never afraid he's going to really hurt you or hurt Sean or anything. No. Um, but he's just, he's so cunning yeah. and so British, and I just, well, I love him. It would be, a, it would be <laughs> such a mess 
to shoot him. I mean, the cleanup is just... Yeah. Yes. He's like, well, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to check out tomorrow. And I just... <laughs> you know, it's like he makes... So, he, yeah. he has so many good points for everything. So within the show, there's, of course, some running gags. The first one of these would be pineapples. Hey. Yeah. There are pineapples in the show? We know about that a little. I guess so. One of the most famous and prominent visual gags of the show is that a pineapple appears in some form in every episode. Steve Frank said, So there was just a prop pineapple on top of the fridge, and it was just tickling James to pick up the pineapple and say, Should I slice this up for the road? He loved it so much that I, off of his enthusiasm, grew to love it as well, because we'd done the scene 15 times in all of the different pieces of coverage, and every time he got to that pineapple part, he sold it in such a way that it was the most acting he did the entire day. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt the need to really put it in, and it was so funny. Dule Hill added to this by saying, The simple thing of the pineapple, you want me to cut this up for the road, started from the brilliance of Rodet, where he would just take what's around him and go with it, and having the freedom to do that, because that line wasn't in the script. From there, we had this whole runner about pineapples. It was little things like that, and getting happy when we thought that we solved the case. They stayed throughout the show, and we were able to grow from there. The prop department actually mostly took care of this. It has taken on a life of its own. Sometimes Steve Franks has something to do with it, but most times, after a while, they did not even know where it was until they all saw the episode. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I would love that. You know, a show that you're working on still has something to surprise you. Yes. There's a website actually dedicated to where all these pineapples are in each episode. Sometimes the pineapple was not even physical. The word pineapple could just be said. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. yeah. So we'll link uh, to this. Pull website. a fast one on you. <laughs> Gotta pay attention. It was also a contest to get fans involved. During commercial breaks, USA would remind the audience to keep an eye out for the hidden pineapple. Did you find the pineapple in the most recent episode of Psych? You know, tweet <laughs> at us. Tell us where the pineapple is, you know. And it's actually really funny because we did very something very similar with our drink of the weeks. What we asked everybody, "Hey, what do you think our finale episode's gonna be?" What do you think? Lol. Another common thing was the phrases. <laughs> One of these was, "Come on, son." This phrase that Gus and Sean use often was actually coined by Ed Lover, an American rapper. Oh, wow. The other ones notable are, "You know that's right," and "I've heard it both ways." They're said like catchphrases, essentially. Nice. The last one is Gus's nicknames. One of Sykes' most popular gags came from James's amazing ability to improvise. It began all the way back in season one, episode five, Nine Lives, when James was introducing the characters Sean and Gus. I'm here. Terrence, hello. I'm Sean Spencer. This is my partner, Gus Silly Pants Jackson. Just came by to say hello. <laughs> Yes. Dulé luckily did not break character, and the rest is history. Sean Spencer introduces himself 
and then his partner with an insane pseudonym throughout the rest of the show. There's one time when it was something like clap your hands something, and so Gus just like <laughs> just went along with it and yeah. did it. <laughs> I love those. I think I love those ones the most is when he just, Gus goes with it. And yeah. He's just like, yeah, that's my name. <laughs> The reactions from Gus, of course, vary, like we were just saying. There's times when he is surprised by the nickname or disappointed, but a lot of the times he rolls with it and does something to confirm his nickname. (laughs) Some examples of these nicknames are Peter Panic, (laughs) Chocolate Columbo. (laughs) (laughs) Magic Head, Fearless Guster. Holla back at ya, jazz hands, and brutal hustler. Dulé has revealed, however, that his favorite was the first one, Gus Silly Pants Jackson. Oh, oh my god, those gosh. are great. I one of my favorites was I think it was so casual. This is John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Uh, his name was my name too, but I had to change it because we'd go out and people start shouting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Those were so good. I love the nicknames. So we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite episodes of the show. All right. Yeah. So I think one of our all-time favorite episodes is, of course, the pilot episode. Oh, boy. There's, I feel like there's. they have to set up so much, but they do it so well. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's an out-there concept, really. Right. But they do a good job. Sean is slightly different in this episode I think and then like the rest of the show yeah because he's painted a little more like a womanizer in this episode mm. he, he yes. does kind of keep those womanizer qualities a little bit later mm-hmm. but not as much yeah because I think it's because he's actively having sex with somebody in this episode. Yeah. Or he's that's about a good point. to. Yeah. yeah. Where he's like has a current girlfriend. Well he or just like he's sitting a on the couch or... and she's yeah, yeah, no, they're like about to have sex together. Yeah. And it sounds like he just kind of picked her up at, yeah. the, gotcha, okay. at, at the diner. A bar like or she, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She was working a shift and she's right. like, You I knew you would be my best table tonight. Yeah, or something oh, like that. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. And Pretty but yeah so everything's a little bit different in this episode than from the rest of the show lassie has a different partner they're having an affair Mm -hmm. but they get rid of her they got rid of her because it made lassie look bad because the idea was that he was married right they thought the audience wouldn't like him and they wanted you to like him a little bit at least and so you know that character is gone after the first episode I don't know. They do set up things very well. Sean, the whole reason that they think he's they think he's a criminal is because he's always calling in tips and he's always right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "This is suspicious. You must be a criminal." And <laughs> it's hilarious to me that him saying, "No, no, I'm just really observant," isn't enough for them. That he has to pretend <laughs> to, to be. be psychic. Yeah. In order for them to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, give us a real reason. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Okay. That's reasonable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. I remember watching this and thinking, God, he is so smart. This show reminds me of The Mentalist that came out, like, I think a year later. In in the case of The Mentalist, I guess it was real. Like, oh, he's actually incredibly smart and Mm -hmm. that's his whole shtick, right? Whereas they make... They kind of 
play with it in Psych, and it's right. more fun. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yes, he is actually incredibly smart, despite the weird and wacky right. facade. Yeah, he's weird and wacky, and so it's kind of unbelievable to them that he's yeah, so smart. Yeah. And so he has to say, oh, I have a psychic ability, and that's why I know these things. Right. And I think it was really funny. James Roday Rodriguez was saying in an interview, you know, he was like, we have too many shows that celebrate real psychics. <laughs> we we really needed one for the charlatans. You know, we really needed a show to celebrate the fake psychics. <laughs> they did a great job of setting up such a weird premise. Yeah. Right. Um, it really makes the characters, you know, fun, mm-hmm. despite and- the weird womanizing yeah. attitude. But it's just... Yeah, I like these characters. I'm ready to to go right. for more. And Gus mm-hmm. is perfect. Yeah. Yes. From absolutely. the beginning. From the start. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They don't really change Gus very much. No. But Sean, I agree with you. He definitely grows. You can see it very quickly. Maybe it's because he's given a job. They talk about how he had like, I don't even remember how many jobs they said he mm-hmm. had before. Yeah. Before this. It was like at least at minimum 14, yes. maybe <sighs> more than that. And he's like happy. I yeah. think that's part of it too. Sean suddenly has a job that makes him happy mm-hmm. and he feels fulfilled and you know, he gets to do something with his best friend every day and that's yeah. that's pretty cool pretty and cool. I so that's a big part of it and also just yeah, I mean, he was couldn't hold down a job before and now he has a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. The Devil's in the Details and in the Upstairs Bedroom. This is a season 4 episode and I know that because I was obsessed with this episode. I am terrified of the devil um (laughs) so scared yeah so when i was in high school i happened to catch this episode on tv and i had never seen this show before and i loved it it's it's a parody of the exorcist which is terrifying but the episode is not terrifying it is about they they think that this girl is being possessed (laughs) and it, there's this really great back and forth with Sean and Gus about whether or not the girl is actually being possessed. Gus believing that she is. like she, There's a mm-hmm. very real possibility that she is possessed. And Sean being like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. How, how could you think <laughs> that that's what's happening? They even call him this old priest friend of theirs that they knew as a child to come and help exercise the demon from this girl. Oh my gosh. Who is doing a very good job of pretending to be possessed. And it it is a very very funny episode. I think I showed it to everyone. I you made everybody definitely showed it to me. I remember. Yeah, I made everyone watch this show. Watch this episode. <laughs> they do a good balance of giving you you a little bit of a spook, like a you know mm-hmm. you know it's still kind of like ooh. I mean, you kind of know in the back of your mind you're like okay, well I mean if Sean's on this case, yeah, she's got to be faking it. They got to be faking it, but like. I don't know. They do a good job of like yeah, being right. like. Doesn't mean it? it's not freaky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a moment, yeah, where Sean is kind of like, maybe, like, yeah. actually, could this actually be? Uh, Mr. Yin presents is another really good one, and also one of my favorites because this episode is a Alfred Hitchcock episode. Aha. Uh-huh. And yes. yes, each of the characters has to act out a piece of an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene, too, where Sean does a Jimmy Stewart impression from Rear Window. And honestly, it's really good. Wow. Well, look at that. That's a wheelchair. 
up in that window there. So, <clears throat> sorry. So essentially in this episode, what's going on is that they are trying to track down this serial killer who, whose partner they already imprisoned a while ago. He gives them, agrees to give them a chance to catch him by inviting all of the, the characters to this warehouse, I think. Yeah, it looks like a warehouse yeah. that's like been set up with props. And... Yeah, and makes them reenact mm-hmm. Hitchcock movies. Hmm. You know, then there's this horrible choice in the episode where, you know, Sean has to choose between saving his current girlfriend or Juliet. You know, oh, it's so no. you have this yeah, yeah. and so you have this very this is a very dramatic episode. It's one of those few dramatic ones where at the yeah. end you kind of see a lot more of the growth of characters and but I love it. So there's dual spires. We talked about this one already a little bit. Yes, we yeah. did. And I need to watch it because <laughs> I don't remember if I've seen it yet, actually. Because I'll be honest, I've kind of skipped around. I think I watched on TV sometimes and sometimes or mm-hmm. like or just didn't get to every, you know, it's one of those shows that sometimes you don't necessarily have to watch in order because you can still enjoy each episode. Yeah. If you want to see if you want to like follow the B and C plots. You yeah. watch it in order. But if yes. you're just going to watch it for the jokes, you can because just watch it whenever. Yeah. Freaking enjoyable no matter yeah. what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I have now since watched Twin Peaks. So I am really interested to go back and see all the things that they yeah. put in there. That... Get all the jokes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100 Clues is an episode making fun of Clue. There's a funny scene in that one where, so if you remember from Clue, the original movie, they, at the end, there's obviously different scenarios that could have <laughs> happened. And so Tim Curry is the main guy he's, in that one, right? Yes. Or he, the butler. He's the butler. And he runs around each uh, to the rooms and stuff with everybody chasing after him if you remember and he's like explaining what could happen like hot you know and then this, this person could have gone yeah. over here and mm-hmm. and then they you know they all run and follow and they <laughs> mimicked that within this episode right because everybody's running after sean and he's doing exactly the same thing the door and you were stricken with panic you had to get rid of the murder weapon indeed to the port cashier. And so, you snuck into the yard to dispose of the ice cream. Like, this happened, and this could have happened, you know. <laughs> it's, it's funny so because Clue is already a comedy. Yes. So them making a parody of Clue is already, it's like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go, yeah. These are le- levels of humor that shouldn't be possible. <laughs> It's also delightful because you get a little Christopher Lloyd in there, too. Hey. He is one of the guests at the dinner party. So there's also 65 Million Years Off, which is Adam's favorite yeah, episode. Yeah, I love this yes. one because dinosaurs. But it's also got some references to holes in it, which is pretty great. Yeah. Yes. Which is, you know, we talked about holes again. Gus being in that movie. Crazy. Yes. Not only do I like this one because dinosaurs, um, it's just hilarious to think that him looking at this body they found washed up from the shore, uh, washed up on the beach, he's just like, mm, uh, I'm going to draw something. Dinosaur. <laughs> Total shot in the dark. 
right? Total, total useless guess. And this is one of the moments where the, the chief is like, come on, man. What are you? Yeah, they you're, physically walk away from you're him. You're an idiot. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Lassie's like on a, on a roll, right? He's solving all these cases. He's got like nine in a row or something like that. <laughs> But by the end of it, it turns out that he was right the whole time. And yes. it's like, oh, my goodness, he is a psychic. It's like <laughs> if if there was ever doubt in anyone's mind, that's the episode that, that would clear all of that. Right. Yeah. Because he just like out of nowhere from thin air pulled dinosaur. And, he, and that's what Lassie's even like, well, I, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I, it's, it reminds me of the Devils in the Details episode because – the roles are completely reversed. Uh-huh. In that episode, he actually also does a sketch drawing of the culprit. Mm-hmm. He draws this this, this hilarious little <laughs> little sketch of Satan, just like yeah, you know, he's got like oh his leg God. popped. <laughs> they saw him fleeing the crime scene, <laughs> and and so it it's funny because he draws a sketch then too, but he's not being serious. And you know, and Gus is like, "Stop making fun of me." Nice. But then in the in the dinosaur one, you know, yeah. Sean draws the dinosaur, and everyone's like, "Wow, you're yeah. stupid." Yeah. But like, yeah. can we talk about how amazing that drawing was? Oh, like, I know it was serious. so good. I'm jealous. <laughs> what? He is also an artist. What? Yeah. <laughs> On the spot. <laughs> On the spot. Yeah. And and it's great. All of the little nods at dinosaurs and paleontology throughout the whole episode i love that stuff where like gus as a kid made this to scale t-rex head for a school project and then that comes back later it's like i'm gonna measure the bite marks on this guy (laughs) to see if you know and obviously they don't let him because get that out of the (laughs) the the autopsy room what are you doing yeah they're an actual dead body there yeah like are you that is so disrespectful yeah yeah not do that yeah but yeah, it's great, and then the whole mystery unfolds. You know, I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, it's a good one, man. So those are some of our favorite episodes. Yeah, uh, tell us some of your favorite episodes, and maybe we can re- we can cover them individually. Yeah, that would be great. I definitely want to go back and watch a lot of these. I'm probably gonna end up watching the whole show at this point. Yes. Psych started as a simple vision and earned its place in pop culture history. After eight seasons and two movies, and another on the way, it's clear that this show is beloved by millions of fans. Its combination of relatable characters, funny gags, and clever and sometimes self-aware storytelling made Psych stand out among other crime shows of the time. Psych focused on its characters more than anything, portraying a strong friendship between its two leads that would make anyone want to go find their best friend and solve a crime. It was wholesome in that way. Burton Guster has been my best friend since we were five. And maybe, just maybe, if any of you can look yourselves in the mirror and know that you've been half as good as friend to someone else as Gus has been to me, well, you too can be considered great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You watch this, you're like, I just want to go be with my friends and do what I love. Yeah. <laughs> and make money at it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and get paid for it. Psych also had major roles for women, with Juliet O'Hara as the young detective trying to prove herself next to the seasoned detective Lassiter. And of course Karen, the no nonsense chief of the department. For a time Dulé Hill was the only black lead on USA's network, which would make the show important 
for more representation of black people in TV. Sean makes a joke about it in the show. He says, we're going to get arrested, aren't we? Gus, don't be the only black lead on a major cable network. (laughs) Psych is a show you can watch again and again. Sure, there are moments where the show is, is dated, but overall, the charm of it is timeless. And for a show about a man who is lying to almost everyone he knows, it's oddly authentic. Psych is a classic, and I know, you know, that I am telling the truth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that is another case closed. That's a season close. Should we clap again? Wow. Woo! Yeah. Yes. Sorry, peaking, peaking. I apologize. Ooh, turn that all down. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, <clears throat> you've been listening to the Black Kids Boys. <laughs> NPR. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, gosh. That is the end of the season. Wow. Can you believe it? I can. Yeah. Yes. I had a blast, but every great thing must end for a time. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Guys, this is a great time to announce I will be leaving the show. (gasps) Oh, my God. Psych. Uh, I'm out. Um, I'm, I'm actually all, quitting now. I'm all psyched out. Um, gonna... I don't got. I got. I got. I don't. I'm not gonna make one. Oh my god! Nope. No psych jokes for me. <laughs> psych. Oh my goodness. We hope you really enjoyed our episode on psych. We enjoyed making it. Hope you enjoyed listening to our show this season. We will be back very soon with season five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just in time for some Christmas shenanigans. Oh, yeah. Yes. We'd like to thank our patrons, Jacqueline and Joel, John, Jacob, Anthony, and Shelly. Yes. Yes. You guys are thank all you very so kind. Much. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much for supporting our show. I also have a review I'd like to read from X Crunner 1800. As a huge movie fan, I love this show. It provides such a great look at movies we love. Thank you so much. That's very sweet. Thank you. We also have um, another supporter over on Pod Hero, (gasps) which is a new little platform that exists. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty cool. Her name is Ama Marfo, so thank you so much for your support. Yes, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We were very excited when we got the notification. Yeah. We really appreciate it. So, hey. Maybe some of you people out there, if you're not <laughs> interested in Patreon, that's, you know, to each their own. You can also support us on Pod Hero if you feel like it. That would that'd be great. Yeah. 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 Go to BlackCaseDiaries.com. We've got all our stuff there. If you miss us while we're on our break, we have a back catalog of basically 100 episodes. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, so, yeah. So just go through there. Listen to our episodes if you like. I bet you there's a movie you like that we've already done. Yeah, Mm -hmm. probably. But thank you so much for listening to this episode tonight. We really appreciate it. And goodbye for now. See you soon. Bye. The best way to convince people you're not lying to them is to tell them you are. Whatever, Sean. It's your agency. Go for it. Actually... It's our agency.